So good evening. Great to see you all. And it's interesting that the town of Barry, that's another word for Barry is serenity. Do you all know that? So you're in a serene town? And, we, and we're located on Pleasant Street. <laughs> so I find that very interesting. There was a time when I lived in, in a certain part of, of Newton, Newton, and um, I was a sports psychology consultant, and I lived on Moody Street. <laughs> so, you know, you can't make this stuff up. So tonight, it's interesting... So I decided tonight I was going to be myself. Because <laughs> that's the only one I really could be, even though we say there's no self around here. Um, so, um, so I was thinking, so it was interesting, because last night I woke up around 1.30. And I uh, started, uh, so I don't agonize when I, when I wake up like that. I study for like two hours. You know, reading stuff and, and doing what I do. So I do this. And, and I was thinking, well, what's my intention for this talk tonight? And so I have all these notes. And I think my intention, if I were to have a title for the talk, it would be part two of, of the flow of practice or really the flow of your practice is your life. Um. And that, and so what I wanted to do is make sure there was an understanding when I talked about getting out of the comfort zone, exactly what that meant. So I'm going to talk a little bit, then open it up for discussion or for Q&A. I shouldn't say discussion. I don't want to encourage anybody to go on and on. Uh, <laughs> so I had to be really, really, uh, it needs to be a little specificity in my words. So the idea is to have to get people to, to get comfortable with the idea that this practice, what we're doing here, what the concepts, the, the values, the principles that we're espousing here are to be taken along with us and not just left here for the, and then returned to when you come back for the next retreat. It's more about a way of living. It's more about a way of seeing and and the simplicity of the, of the practice and how we can can take on some of these challenges that's going to be helpful because I've gotten a lot of questions about you know I like it here now I got to go home and how am I going to bring this home and then I start talking about the people at home that ain't trying to hear this and so I'm here to tell you it ain't about them it's about us being who we need to be, and we're not supposed to leave here and then go fix them or give them the Dhamma because we think it would be helpful. And we're probably right about that. <laughs> but that's not our job. Our job is to really focus on here. And so I just want to return back to this idea that it's a flow. Like even today, um, things happen. And the interesting thing that, that I think is really important is to understand that for me in my life, it's like I go to different places and, and, uh, and things happen that I don't account for. When I used to go into prison, sometimes I used to have to 
uh, re rearrange the room, tweak the floor, and mop it before I would have class. That's not my job description. But that was just what was needed. And so, and so I would do that. And so I just want to talk about this idea of, of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So I talked about the Buddha. How, you know, we all have a Buddha nature. And we all have the seeds for awakening. And then we talk about the Dhamma, the practice, and, and these are the things that I, I study and I reflect on and, and, live, and, and live out my life according to them. And then there's the Sangha or the support or the, or the community of people that's going to support us because I don't know if you recognize this or not, but I got blind spots. And it's nice to have somebody around me that says, yo, dude, this is what's happening. You ain't seeing this. And I love you, but you better check this out. <laughs> Uh, or they catch me say, hey, yo, dude, uh, that was really sweet. That was really good what you did. And then that encourages me, and then I, I get feedback, so I don't have to worry about having self-delusion because, because I, can, I can see it, and other people can see it. And so, so then there's a, there's a confidence with that. Uh, so this idea of, in this tradition, we talk about having a, Instead of a teacher, we talk about teachers, but it's really having a wise friend. And so there's this wise reflection that's also called the four virtues. And one of them is association with a wise friend. Second one is listening to teach good teachings, or what I would call not only listening, but having um, suitable conversation. Or in the context of, of, of athletics, I call it championship conversations. And so there's... There's association with a wise friend, number one. Number two, listening to good teachings. Number three, wise reflection. And wise reflection, let me say something about that. That is extremely important. And I don't think we really talk about it enough. But when I was in recovery, I had to reflect. Okay, if I take one drink or one drug, it's both too much and not enough. And I had to reflect on what am I doing? And then, of course, my mind was really slick. So it would say, well, why don't you go down to Joe's Biden Grill and see what's happening? And, and I had to start thinking about, okay, so if I go down there, then I get triggered. And then I'm probably going to drink or get high. So I got to reflect on, no, that's not skillful. But even with this program, I, 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 with this process, I can even go one step further. What kind of mind was I in that told me that, that I should think about going there? What was my mind state? There was some sensual desire or something that was saying, you know, let's go down there. And so I had to think about, well, no. I started reflecting on what I'm, what I'm doing before, during, and after. Reflect on it. Because I need to know, okay, was that helpful? Was that not helpful? How was I able to do that that, that was skillful? What was my mindset? That was that I have a wholesome mind state. That I have right view. You know, I was I was fascinated with uh, Alexis' um, relationship with his teacher when he talked about right view and be mindful. That's too damn simple. But that's it. That is it. If your mind's right, everything else is right. So we've been doing that, a mind with compassion, a mind with 
loving kindness, a, a mind with equanimity. We talked about joy. And, and in my tradition or my profession, when I'm working with athletes, um, it's called appreciative joy. So when the other team wins, you, you got to say, OK, they deserve that. And it's interesting because when the Golden State Warriors lost uh, to to Toronto Raptors, uh, the Warriors took out a full page ad congratulating the other team. How about that? But wouldn't you expect that from an organization that had core values like mind, uh, joy, mindfulness, compassion, and competition? Wouldn't you expect that from that? So this, once again, that's the mindset. It's like we're part of this. We lost, but uh, we're all connected. So every once in a while, you see that. And so this idea of how do we keep this going, good friends, uh, suitable conversation, listening to good dharma, and, and wise reflection, thinking about things. Am, is my mind wholesome or unwholesome? Do I have right view? Am I being mindful? Now, it's situational, but those, those questions are appropriate for any situation. And so when I'm out in the world and, I, and I'm talking to people, I might have five minutes or ten minutes, and I got to cut right to the chase or they're done. I'm out of here, dude. You got to come right to the chase. Like, it's about suffering and the end of suffering. It's about the idea that we we have we have we're wired for success, but how we how we train our mind and heart is going to determine whether we can express that or not. It's that simple. And so, so this idea of 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 good friends. And when I when I came here years ago, and I and I sat here, and then I discovered the Cambridge Center. So how many of you folks have uh, centers where you live or close to where you live? Okay. How many of you don't? Okay. So, so it's a challenge. So you might end up coming here multi- a multiplicity of times during the year because you need to get fed or you need to have that support. So we got to figure out, uh, you know, how do we connect with good friends and, and, and so that we can have those suitable conversations, conversations about how can I how can I know my mind is has right view and what do I do when it has the wrong view? What do I do when I'm relating to my family members and they're not acting the way I think they should? And, 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 and it can go on and on. But, but the real thing is, to me, is how do I do this thing in a way where... So the questions I'm interested in is how do we create flow or how do we continue to have a continuity of practice when we leave here and, and from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep? Now, does it mean we have to be doing it all the time? No. We can start with little chunks. There's a guy called Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. He's the guy that the father of flow and zone and everything. And he had an ESM method, which is called example sampling method. And now this is going back a ways because he would give people pages. So you know that's a while ago. <laughs> so he give them pages and he would he would page them. And when they got paged, they had to write down. What were they doing? How were they feeling? What was the mindset? And, you know, 
and, and a series of questions. And so he, he did that for years. And he found out that people were in flow a lot more than they thought they were. And that he developed this whole process of how, you know, what are the triggers for flow and that sort of thing. And what it really comes down to is managing the moment. We should know something about that. So this process makes us flow ready. So now we're talking about do we have the will? Do we, can, can we arouse the energy? Can we make the commitment to do this? And to start off small, we don't have to jump from zero to 60. We can just start off. You've been doing it. So now it's like, okay, now that wise reflection, how are we going to take this home? How are we going to incorporate more of the practice? And if we don't have centers, how are we going to connect with other folks? Or how are we going to fill that void in terms of interacting with people? And so those are the conversations I think that would be worth having. So I can, I can go through and I can talk about the Dharma and the, like my friends say, the seven this and the five that. And, and to me, to me, I won't talk about the seven factors of enlightenment uh, or awakening. We talked about that. But I just want to just kind of go over a couple of them because they happen to be, my thing has been on the five spiritual powers, which is uh, faith, mindfulness, effort or diligence, concentration and wisdom. And it's interesting, fascinating that three of those Mindfulness, effort, and concentration are also enlightenment factors, uh, awakening factors. Isn't that interesting? And so I think I just want to say a little bit about those three and then open it up for discussion. Holy moly, I don't know where the time goes. So mindfulness, we kind of know that, but let me read what it says here. Mindfulness clears the ground for insight, bringing to light phenomena in the now stripped of all subjective commentary, interpretations, and projections. Bare phenomena, it brings bare phenomena into focus, and that leads to the factor of investigation. Ryan talked about that a little bit. And sometimes, and, and Alexis talked about the interest. So this idea of investigating. So this is what we're doing. Like, okay, so how do we do this? And so I, the idea about investigation that I like, you is that this idea is, the Buddha says, don't believe me, see for yourself. So investigate, explore. So if I give you a concept, like mindfulness is helpful, then how do you create the conditions so that you can have the experience of mindfulness being helpful? So now you have a direct experience of it. Same, same with, with effort. So effort is interesting because... We can talk about effort in, in terms of, you know, how do you abandon uh, the unarisen? How do you prevent from arising unwholesome mind states? You know, like we'll talk about ill will. And once it has arisen, how do you abandon it? And it also talks about how can you bring mindfulness, let's say, or investigation into being and how do you maintain it or perfect it? So we could talk about it this way, but the results of effort is initially you have to have what they call inceptive energy, which shakes off, shakes off lethargy 
and arouses initial enthusiasm. So to me, it's all about the joy. Joy now and never. That's my motto. And then it's a joy discovery. This is what I know. When I learn for learning's sake, for no reason I learn how to learn, then I get fascinated with discovery. Initially, it was AOF. And y'all, I don't know if you read my book, but AOF, Method of Motivation, is, ca- is called Ass on Fire. <laughs> and so I went from that to seek pursuing excellence and wisdom. Then I went from pursuing excellence to wisdom to pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease, because I didn't have any grace and ease for a minute there. <laughs> and so what happens is it goes from this inceptive energy where it shakes off lethargy or there's enthusiasm there. And then because of the enthusiasm, because of the commitment, and because of my faith in the process, now I persevere. I have persist- perseverance. I continue. So slow motion gets you there quicker. It's like a, a continuous application of balance energy. Balance, not just frenetic, but it has to be, uh, be supported by obviously mindfulness but, and, and faith. But it, all, it is also supported by steadiness of mind or concentration. And so, and as we continue to go and evolve, it, go, it becomes invincibility, where it drives contemplation forward, leaving the hindrances powerless to, step, to stop it. Now, one of the interesting things about, about MJ, Michael Jordan, was he has this tremendous, first thing I noticed was his ability to concentrate. He had, like, some serious samadhi. But he also had tremendous energy. So dude might go out and play two golf games and then go play basketball. Good golf matches. Now it's 18 holes for each one. That's 36 holes. And so he had access to this tremendous energy. And, of course, he was really focused, and, and he worked harder than everyone. Um, and when I met him, he acted like he was still trying to make the team because he got cut in high school. So, and, 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 and I've seen this in myself as well. I'm not claiming I have the invincibility, but I do know that there's times where in, in sports we talk about the second win, when you push through and you have more energy. Well, the philosopher and, and the father of psychology, William James, says we could have as many as 14 second wins so we can push through. So I think it's, it's in the mental realm that this happens because just when we feel like we can't or we're at our limit, we push, we move through that with compassion, I might add. Then we get to another level. So this effort that's that's needed for this, because I don't know if you all notice this, this stuff hurts. It's painful. Especially to look at our stuff. I'm asking you to look at your stuff. It's like, oh, no, he didn't. I got to look at that. (laughs) And then you look at it, we look at it, and we don't realize that it's not who we are. We're identified with it. And we start to understand that. So with the mindfulness and the effort, we're able to develop some concentration. Uh, And I won't go through all of these other um, aspects, but you know, you get the rapture where you get that joy and then and then you get the tranquility where the rapture subsides and then the concentration on one pointedness. And then at some point we have access to the equanimity or the steadiness of mind so that we're just um, we're just seeing what's there without moving this way or that way. And there's a gentleman. Um, by the name of Dr. David Hawkins, he passed away several years ago. 
I got the um, pleasure of of being with him uh, and and reading his stuff. And he says life. He talks about the practice. Life becomes progressive rather than just repetitive. And he says all experience is of equal value. That's equanimity. Can we be present for everything and unmovable? So that's what's possible. And on a good day, once in a while, we might have a, a taste of it. And so we can build that up. And so I don't want to say too much more because I want to open it up. But, but I wanted to talk about that these are the things that you know, we're developing mindfulness. We're developing effort. We're developing concentration. And, of course, in the five spiritual powers, you've got to have trust and you have faith at least launching faith that you actually do what is being asked of us. We're actually doing it, or 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 you know attempting to putting the effort in. And and you notice the Buddha and he says arouse energy. So always talking about you got to have energy. Without the right energy, you can't get it done. It's got to be balanced. It can't just be frenetic, and it can't be lax. It has to be that balance. It has to be. Uh, Balanced with steadiness of mind and concentration. So all of these factors help each other. So I look at the five spiritual powers. You have effort, you have concentration, you have faith, and you have insight or wisdom. And when they and mindfulness helps cultivate those and it helps to balance them. So mindfulness is the crown jewel, but like Alexis said the other day, mindful uh, awareness alone is not enough. And we have a tendency of isolating things and saying, oh, this is a cause. Just like we have a tendency, I'm just going to put it out here, that I'm the teacher and I got to do all the work and teach you. That's an industrial age paradigm. It doesn't work. We're in this together. And if you don't bring your, uh, in your reflections and if you don't have the commitment and take responsibility... I can't help you. Everyone has to do it for themselves. But it's a wonderful journey if we decide to make sure we have the right mindset and that we have uh, we practicing the the morality that we talked about with the five precepts and and I and I found out that the word performance means a commitment to the wholesome. I like that. Commitment to the wholesome. So I think I got gave us enough to talk about. So I'm gonna be quiet now and and ask and see what questions you folks have. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so what's my balance of study and, and practice um, going back and forth? Oh, the path of that. Okay, so, so my path is a little bit different because when I first, see if I can sum this up quickly. So for five years, I just came here and sat on weekends. 
And I was upset when they had the three-month course because that meant I couldn't sit. I had, I had a little spiritual greed there, I must admit. <laughs> but I also had the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. And I could do day-longs there, and we had what we call sandwich retreats. So we would have a, um, a retreat that was, you know, and it was a... It wasn't an overnight center. It was a center where you can go all day and practice. And so, or it is a center. Not it was, it is. And, but in those days, we had a sandwich retreat. So we do uh, Saturday and Sunday. Then we do Monday, Saturday and Sunday. And that was usually 9 to 9, 9 in the morning, 9 at night. And then we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from 6 to 10. And we had homework, and we come to come and we talk about what we did. And then the other, the other piece of bread is the next Saturday and Sunday. But it was nine to nine, and then Sunday was nine to six. I figured they they might have thought we earned a break. I'm not sure. I think it was so people could go home and see their families because you ain't seen your families too much, too much when you're doing that that six to ten and nine to nine. And and I would do that. And then I would go to the Wednesday talks. And then we were fortunate because I had Narayan and, and Larry Rosenberg. And in those days, we were afforded a half an hour of interview every day. I mean, every week, once a week. And then at some point, I moved into the center. So I lived there for six years. And then I, so then I started doing retreats up here. Week, and, then I, you know, like, and then I did the, you know, the three-month course and then half of a three-month course. And then I started working at the Center for Mindfulness and other places. So I, I, I could only, I didn't get to sit the long retreats like I used to. So my practice had to change. And, and so, but at the same time, we were always interested in practicing daily life and bringing it to daily life. So that's been my, my, my thing. But um, because I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom, over the last 35 years, I've read over a book a week. And I study a lot. And so when I lived at the center, I, I read a lot. Um, and when I came here, I just practiced a lot. So for me, it's just, it's just my nature. I love reading. And the interesting thing is, and I'm glad you asked me this question, because last night I was reading uh, um, the Hada Buddhist uh, meditation. So I got, I'm getting wise now. I don't have to carry those books. I can go online because I have Kindle. And so, and if I don't have it, I can like the the No Way Full Path by Bhikkhu Bodhi, Bodhi rather. Um, I could go online and and read it. So I read those, I don't know, those books maybe thirty times, maybe more. I don't know because it's been a long time. And I every once in a while I'll, I'll read them. I usually read them. My own book, The Mindful Athlete's Secrets to Pure Performance. I read it thirty nine times. And and uh, and I uh, I'm li- and I listened to it for the fortieth time because it's on Audible. And it's amazing how much I learn each time I read that book. <laughs> and I and I record everything and I listen to these recordings. And it's interesting initially, and and this dovetails to what Alexis was saying. When I first used to record things, I hated the sound of my voice. And at some point. I started noticing, oh, where'd that come from? That's pretty good. And I get inspired listening to my own lectures. 
and people would say, dude, that's a little weird. How do you, how do, you do that? And I said, listen, because when I'm doing it, I'm not there. I'm not there. And so if I'm there, it won't be the flow. So maybe the trick to making our practice our life and flow is make sure you're not there. You know, you can do like Woody Allen said. He said he didn't, you know, think it's about death. He said he don't mind dying. He just doesn't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> so, so, we, so it's about, and the interesting thing, what I'm finding now is because it's challenging for me to do things for myself. So I wrote the book basically because I wanted to be a service, right? And so now I've developed this process, which I call I have to be selfish, <laughs> to be selfless. And so even if I can't do it for myself, I do it for others. And by doing it for others, I'm doing it for myself. And so I talk about it in the book, the best way to find yourself is to forget yourself. So that's self-forgetting. And, and I know uh, Suzuki Roshi talked about burn yourself completely in the task. There's something to that. Don't leave a trace. So it's this idea of, yeah, so that's the process it's just really studying, and, it, and, it's, and it's weird because it's not like I'm in control of this. It's like I wake up in the morning, and I, and I know I have to study. I'll be on the road. I do that a lot. I'll study. People call me. What are you doing up? Oh, I'm studying, meditating, reflecting, trying to figure out how I can make this uh, practice more accessible to people. How can I language it in a way where they can understand it but maintain the essence of the teaching? Yes, that's exactly right. But, but you know, the word to meditate, if you look it up, it says to contemplate. And to contemplate means to look at repeatedly or closely. So I meditate on my book. I meditate on a lot of things. And I learned that from this philosopher. His name is Dr. Dre. <laughs> I got my mind on money, money on my mind. That's meditation. Whatever your mind is on, you're contemplating. People don't understand that. They say, oh, yeah, I don't meditate. That's a bunch of bull. You're meditating all the time, and you don't even know it. We are meditating all the time. And we don't know what we're meditating on. At least Dr. Dre knows his mind's on money. And the other thing he says is, my money's on me. I like that one. <laughs> so he's like, I, if I don't believe in me, who will? I got a masterpiece. Human birth is precious. So let's grow with it. And so whatever comes up, we got a process that we can be like water. Just roll with it. Say yes and. This is happening. How am I going to respond to it in a way where, where I'm true to my, you know, to having a wholesome mindset or having right view and being mindful and seeing what, what happens. Seeing how I can relate to this in a way that, that, that helps me to express that masterpiece within. Because research says that when we, when we have a crisis or when we get challenged, that's when our latent abilities express themselves. And every once in a while, it takes a crisis for us to get beyond the illusion of separateness and run into, like I said, a burning building at 9-11 or run towards the explosion during the Boston Marathon bombing. And then recently, you could see people lining up. Or when there was hurricanes, you've seen people going out, putting their life, and actually one, one man ended up drowning, trying to save other people. 
but there's this impulse or this move movement of the heart that's that says I and the other are one. So that's me, but I'm a recovering perfectionist, so I don't expect anybody to be like me. Yes. How can I be a recovering perfectionist? How do you do it? Number one, awareness that I'm a perfectionist. Number two, acceptance that I'm a perfectionist in recovery. So that means that I have to watch my tendency to want to do more and want to, want to, um, want to be perfect. And so when I can start to understand that I'm already perfect. I got Buddha nature. I don't have to act like I need to prove it. And when I'm trying to prove something, instead of just being a service and expressing myself. But I say that because I have to remind myself because old habits die hard. And they show up, especially when I'm doing something new and, and, or, or, or something that's unfamiliar. Uh, I start trying to do it perfectly instead of just... Just just take it step at a time and slow motion gets you there quicker. So it means just just ease into it. Just it has a flow and I can go slowly and build up momentum. And so that's what I mean. I have to check myself and then I might try to uh, do too much. And of course, I have the gift of migraines that helps me with that one. And back pain when I'm trying to do too much. My body says, chill, man. Chill, dude, you know. We got stress in here. Yes. Yes. How, how do I help athletes be in the well, it's, it's the same drill we do. Be in the moment. Just be mindful, but also understand, have an understanding. So there's, wisdom, there's mindfulness, which is just reflecting what's there. And then there's wisdom or clearly knowing to a little degree. So you have to know the basic fundamentals and know what the objective is. So you know, you program yourself, you do it's, it's learning, practicing, and performing. That's what it is. So it's repetition, repetition, and error correction. So repetition, error correction, and then the error correction is based on what we call error, error attribution, which means do you attribute it to being too slow or, or not good enough, or do you attribute it to making an error and then correcting it and realizing that you need more skills, knowledge, and experience. And so when you're in competition and you're playing, when you make a mistake, you got to be like water and just let it go and then keep make the next play. And so they know if you got to be locked in and, and focused. So there's a amazing video. You can watch it on YouTube with 
with Chris Rock trying to um, have a conversation with Kobe Bryant during one of the uh, uh, playoff games against the Celtics. I think it was 2008. And Kobe is looking straight ahead, and Chris Rock got this big drink, and he's making all kind of jokes, and Kobe just never, never takes his eye off what he's doing. And so it's, it's a matter of repetition. All those repetitions and error correction, and, and it takes, people don't realize this, but it takes something like 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to become an elite performer or expert, not just in sports, but in, in everything, in every arena. And so deliberate practice means you've got to practice on purpose and understand with wisdom what do you need to correct that's going to enhance your performance. So it's not... Uh, saying, okay, I'm going to learn all these things. No, it's like, what's the one thing I can learn that's going to make my performance better uh, sooner rather than later? And then you focus on that. But regardless of all the training, if you ain't managing the moment, if you're not flowing in the moment, be able to see it and use the obstacles as part of the process. The, obstacle, the obstacles are the game. So I say, oh, I can't do that, or my uniform's ripped or something. No, you can't do that. You keep going. So it's, it's, it's a lot of it is, and people who play instruments, or, or there's some way times we can really focus on some things and not on other things, but it's the same drill. It's like how do you bring mindfulness and, and, and wisdom from moment to moment and then start to, it's like to me, it's like there's a bunch of jigsaw puzzles. And, you know, we're putting pieces in there and we're, we're just picking up intelligence as we go along. And then at some point, because mindfulness and memory have a deep connection, you say, oh, there's a piece. I remember that piece. You get it. You put it there. You get a full picture of what's going on. Then you put that aside. Then you get another one. So it's about the pursuit of excellence or wisdom. It's about understanding. And we can grow in understanding if we can be still and know we can pay attention and, and all of these things that we've been doing. It's helping us to stay in the moment and to create space between stimulus and response. When you, we do that, when we elongate the perceptual process instead of it being short, and then we embellish it and we project self-interest and abstract thinking and all of that, if we just can just see it and let it speak to us, like, the, like I could talk about wisdom, then that space that we create by not reacting before seeing the whole picture we actually slow things down. So two seconds is an eternity because time is relative. So this is what we have this amazing ability to slow things down. And I saw this program where this, this, where, where this uh, person had an injury. or oh, no, it was firefighters, and they were fighting a fire, and a fire came back on them. And their brain slowed it down so that as they were running, they could figure out what they could do. To save themselves. That's what I say. When we get pushed beyond the limit, there's a there's a wisdom there. There's a um, um, latent abilities get expressed, and so now we have the science. The science is starting to catch up to what we've known for 2,600 years or longer. Yes.
Nope, I need all the intelligence I can get. So I need to understand them, see how they're seeing things. I ask them questions and just look, like internally, externally, okay? How many people can see how people get emotionally um, hijacked? And you can see it and you see everything clearly. You can do that for them, but for ourselves, we got no clue. So it's more about seeing them. See, to me, I see they have a masterpiece, even though they don't know it. Or they don't act like they know it. And it's just about being myself and, and seeing them as, you know, not as separate or they have to think like I do. No, I just it's acceptance of them as they are. And if I'm really interested, I'll try to figure out how they see things. Because if I understand how they see things, then it will be clear to me. Uh, this is the lawful universe. How you, we see things and how we behave, there, there's a connection there. So if I see things the way you see things, I'm going to do what you're doing. And people say, no, I would never do that. But you would. You would, because we had this idea that we see and there's a break. No, seeing and behaving are, uh, are intimately linked. And you can have that experience. That's why when we have the right view, everything lines up. When we're in alignment, things happen. But it's a practice. That's why we call it a practice. We act like it's not a practice. We do it, and we're supposed to be able to do it on the first try. No, it's a practice. That's what practice means. And they say 70 times 7. Well, what is that? That's one of those spiritual terms. That means keep doing it until you can do it. Seventy times seven means it's not a number. It says you keep doing it till you can do it. That's what perseverance, right? Effort. You keep doing it, and and at some point you can do it. But it may be ten, ten thousand repetitions, ten thousand joys and sorrows. You all heard that one before? Yes. So you wanted to say something? I think we have time, maybe for one more. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, when it comes to this, it speaks for Ukraine, because based on the question she was asking, they don't want to hear the dog. Be the message. Hmm? Be the message. See, because when you, uh, people get attracted to that energy, that light. And then there's other people who don't want the light. They're going, they're going to go away from it anyway, so don't worry about them. But what I've found is <laughs> this practice creates an energy. And I want to say this to people because maybe you don't realize this, but there's an energy in this hall and there's an energy in this place that's very conducive to doing this practice. And we are just adding to that these last six, seven days. We have been contributing to that. Do you all get that? And that what we're doing is not just for us, it's for the whole, well, I won't say universe because I'm not sure if that's the only thing, but the whole thing, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. Because I start watching these programs and, you know, we live in a, our galaxy is like 100,000 light years across. But then there's one galaxy that's 6 million light years across. I can't put my head around that one. <laughs> and then there's more, there's billions of galaxies. So whenever you think you're getting too big for your britches, all you do is think about that. <laughs> but if you realize that we're made of stardust, then maybe 
this illusion of separateness is just an illusion. And, you know, we are separate. It, it's that, that we're not separate is an illusion. We are, se- we, are, we are connected with everything. And you can see it. There's ways when we can see it. Um, when we break through that veil, we can see it. But there's a lot more that we could talk about, but I just want us to realize that um, even though we can't um, claim all the work we've done and all the, the, the seeds that we planted, they're there. And they're, they're referred to as a non-declarative learning or implicit learning. And they'll show up. And that's what I've been experiencing after 35 years or so, that all those seeds I planted a long time ago, they're bearing fruit now. And that's why when you plant seeds, you can't dig, up, dig it up to see how you're doing. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it be there and trust that it's going to grow. And so what helped me with working with people, and this gets to your question, that people that can't hear what I'm saying, I'm Johnny Appleseed. I'm just throwing seeds, and wherever they take root, that's fine. It ain't my job to sit there and say, well, I wonder if that one's going to grow or not. No, I keep moving. Keep moving. And that's how you be like, why? You keep moving. Okay, if something comes up, obstacle, you deal with it, and then you keep moving. And when we can do that in, the, in your immediate reaction or response to immediacy of experience, then that's when we get in the flow. And we don't know when we're going to get there, but I do know if we manage the moment and if we continue to work, then we'll have that flow. And you'll see that some of this stuff is showing up in your life. But we can do it more consciously in terms of not being in a hurry, but slow motion will get us there. So can we sit for a minute? May we experience the joy of discovery, the joy of of the fruits of our practice without really looking for them, but noticing that, that we've developed quite a bit of, uh, I don't know, um, goodwill or whatever, And, and, and may we see the fruits of that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.